open your Bible there to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians just after 2 Corinthians, just before Ephesians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if that's something you would like, come and chat to me afterwards. We would love nothing more than to get a copy of God's Word in your hands, and that would be absolutely no problem at all. Uh, Galatians 1, verses 11 to 24 is our reading for this morning, and Hillary is going to come and read God's Word for us. Galatians 1, verses 11 to 24. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, becoming more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was unknown by faith to the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches a faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God in me. Thank you to Andrew, our musicians, the choir, and everybody who's helped set up the sound and PowerPoint as well. Would you please open your Bible to Galatians chapter 1, and as we turn to God's word, let's go to him in prayer and ask for his help and his blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you give us, give it to us. You give us understanding by your spirit, and we ask for that now, that you would move in our hearts and lives, that you would open our eyes to see you, that you would melt our hearts, so we may respond to what you have to tell us and teach us. We may live in the light of your glory and your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Apologetics. Apologetics is the fancy theological Christianese term for defending your faith, for making a case for believing in Christianity and the truth it teaches. Apologetics. It's not apologizing. It's not, I'm, I'm sorry. It's kind of the opposite, actually. Saying, I'm not sorry. This is true, and here's why. I wonder if someone asked you to make a case for the gospel. That's the truth that Jesus Christ lived, died, rose, ascended to save those who believe in him not because they earn it, actually because they can't. And he lets us share in that through the free gift of faith from God. 
If someone asked you to make a case for why the gospel is true, where would you go? What would you do? What would you say? You might go to Google. You might search out all the great Christian thinkers, theologians, philosophers, debaters to see what they say. So you can regurgitate that. You might ask someone you know who's wise and godly what they would say. You could give Stafford Carson a ring and ask him to put you in touch with the professors up at Union College who have all the answers there. You might even go to the Bible. You might start in the Old Testament and work your way right through to the New to see how it shows one big coherent picture, a big reliable story. And none of those are bad ideas. But what did Paul do in his letter to the Galatians? The Apostle Paul, a man who had seen the risen Lord Jesus with his own eyes, who had more knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures than anybody in this room, who knew his stuff, who knew his philosophers and debaters and theologians, what would you expect him to do? Maybe start rolling off passages of scripture like he does in some of his letters. Maybe write out a huge theological treatise on the historical, theological, and whatever else of how the gospel is plainly true. He actually doesn't do any of that. He he doesn't actually do what you would expect him to do at all. He just talks about himself. Not look at all this research and arguments and work and words. But Paul says, look at me. Todd Wilson, an American pastor, says that Paul's argument is actually his autobiography. His argument is his autobiography. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to people who are caught up in legalism. That means people are pouring on additional rules to Christianity. The people who are treating the gospel as a boring plain cheese pizza and think it needs extra toppings. It needs more stuff. It needs more things to supplement this. This gospel that Paul preaches, it's too bare. Paul is out there preaching that all you need to do to be a Christian, all you need to do to be saved, to be one of God's people, to have right relationship with the God who created this universe and you, all you need to do is believe in Jesus. And those who oppose him say, ah, that can't be true. That's not enough. Surely you have to adhere to something else, maybe Jewish law. You need to do extra things. You need to keep extra rules. They say Paul is changing this story of the gospel to make it more palatable to Gentiles. That's non-Jewish believers. He wants to make it easier for them. He's copping out. Paul's gospel must be a man's gospel. It can't be from God. And Paul, to combat them, points to himself and his story and his transformation brought about by the gospel, the one true gospel. His autobiography is his argument. Is his argument. As we jump into this passage to learn more about this wonderful gospel and the impact it should have on us, it's important for us to remember that this is true for ourselves. Our autobiography is our argument to a world around us. How we live our lives shows the reliability of what we say we live for. Our message is shown to be true or false by the messenger. Us. And that's what Paul does. He defends his message by the messenger. He defends the message of a free gospel to all who will believe by showing three things in his life that prove this gospel isn't concocted by human minds. To show that he's not making this up for human gain. To show that it's from Jesus. 
we're going to look at three things Paul points out under three headings. And those headings are revelation, motivation, and transformation. Revelation, motivation, and transformation. First up, revelation. In other words, how the gospel, specifically this gospel, came to Paul. Paul is being attacked. Paul's gospel is being attacked because he's not insisting on Jewish traditions, such as circumcision, such as Sabbath laws, which might even shock some of us in this room, and things like dietary restrictions as well. And again, people are thinking, because of all this, he must have made it up. He must have got together with some other people to work out how to edit this gospel and make it a bit nicer, more accessible. How did he come up with this? How did he come up with this man's gospel? And so Paul just shared his story. He says he didn't receive it from any man. In fact, when Paul heard men talking about this gospel, he was so offended by it that he tried to kill them. He refused to be taught this gospel. He refused to listen to men about it. He wouldn't listen to any man. And then Jesus stepped in. The risen Lord Jesus, who in mercy, grace, and love appeared to Paul and revealed himself to him. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not a man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul explains this in more detail when he recounts the story in Acts 26 to King Agrippa, verses 12 to 18 in his own words. He said, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief chief priests. At midday, okay, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Who did Paul receive this gospel from? Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. Who commissioned Paul to go and preach this gospel? Jesus. Not man, not a group of men, not Paul himself. Jesus. Paul really wants to make this clear. His salvation, his message, his gospel, his mission, it's nothing to do with him. And it's everything to do with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's from Jesus. It's for Jesus. He reiterates that this is from Jesus and not from men in Galatians 1, 15 to 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
When Paul says he doesn't consult with anybody about this gospel, that, that word consult in the original Greek carries a meaning to submit for approval. Kind of like when you submit an essay or you submit a request for holiday leave and you need it approved by someone who is your senior. But Paul didn't do that here. If you read Acts, you'll see that he spent time with a guy, Ananias, but he didn't ask for Ananias' approval on anything he was going to say because Jesus said it and Jesus gave Paul full approval. Paul's revelation is from Jesus and only Jesus, and so you can trust it. Paul's gospel is from Jesus and only Jesus. Paul's salvation is from Jesus and only Jesus. And that's the same for us today. If we belong to Jesus Christ, if he is our Savior, if he is our Lord, that's because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. With respect, it's nothing to do with you. So often when it comes to our story of faith, we think we're a bit like pigs sniffing out truffles. Jesus is like this secret covered over in the dirt. And we do the hard work of finding him, sniffing him out, brushing off the dirt and doing the discovering. Like we do the revealing. But we're actually in the same boat as Paul. We're, we're not treasure hunters. We're dead men. We're walking skeletons before we come to Jesus. And the treasure finds us. He finds us. And he shines his light on our hearts. And he reveals himself to us. And he opens up our eyes to see him. And he unplugs our ears to hear him. And he melts our hearts to live for him. And he brings us to life. It's all from him. It's glorious. Has, has that happened in your life? Has Jesus revealed himself to you, to your heart, to your life? If not, cry out to him so that he might do this work in you. If you are a Christian and you're the type of messenger who has a message that's all about you, nobody is going to want to buy what you're selling. If your message is all about you, the response that you will get and the response that you will deserve is that's fine for you, but it's not for me. A gospel that's all about our skill of uncloaking the truth, that's a different gospel. It's no different. It's no gospel at all. If you're the hero of your gospel story, it's possible you've got the wrong God, the wrong gospel, and most definitely the wrong hero. No harm to you, but if that hero, you, is your hero. It's no use to you. The gospel that Paul preaches is that Jesus is the hero. And Jesus does the work. And Jesus does the revealing of himself in our hearts. The gospel of Jesus is pure. The gospel of Jesus gives us a true hero who rescues us despite ourselves. and requires not work but only belief. Not our working out, not our treasure hunting, not extra rules from men, just belief. How freeing is that? Revelation. Revelation and motivation. If you know anything about Paul, you'll know that he was a highly motivated man. Uh, that's both before his conversion to Christianity and after. To say he was a hard worker would be the understatement of the century. Everything he did, he gave it his all. 
When he was a Jew, he was a proper first-class Jew. There's that famous passage in Philippians 3 where he lists his Jewish credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was good living. Paul was so motivated in everything that he did. And now when he preaches the gospel, his critics are saying, Paul, you don't care about Jewish law and tradition. You don't care about this. And so he says, Galatians 1, 13 to 14, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul said, look at my life. I was an expert in my field. He was far beyond his peers. He was exceptional. You see that word in verse 14, zealous? He was zealous. He was motivated, passionate, give everything his all. Why was he so motivated? He was zealous to keep the law, to be the best Jew he could be. He was zealous to work, to please God. He was zealous because this has been passed down through the traditions of his family, of his people. He was zealous, motivated, highly motivated to do what? To achieve his salvation. And then Jesus shows up to this zealous Jew and tells him he's got everything wrong. It's all wrong. He says, zeal doesn't save. Jesus says, hard work makes no difference. Not even some difference? No. No no difference whatsoever. If it did, Jesus wouldn't have needed to appear to Paul because he was as hardworking as they get. Jesus shows up. He reveals himself to Paul. He makes it clear that salvation isn't earned. So Paul's motivations change. Not to earn God's favor, but to live in it and to enjoy it. Paul's message is backed by its messenger. Your your zeal can't save you. No matter how motivated you are. No, No matter how much hard work you put in, your sweat, blood, tears, no effort can earn you favor with God. Only faith in Jesus Christ. You might be the most zealous of Protestants out there. But if you think that your good Protestant work ethic is going to earn you brownie points with God, you're wrong. A good Protestant work ethic by itself will only lead you straight to hell. You might be a zealous Presbyterian. Presby from birth, Presby till I die and good on you. But God doesn't care. You might be a zealous Eden Dairyite or whatever we call ourselves. And everything you do, you're motivated by first Porter Down for Eden Dairy. But if you work, work, work for Eden Dairy and you think that's going to earn you favor with God, you're mistaken. And sometimes we can work really hard at being good, living a bit like Paul. You never smoke, never drank. That's not going to save you. And I don't think God's really invested in that. Paul says we can work and slave and slog and toil. 
But it's not going to earn us salvation because salvation can't be earned. For the sorts of messengers who have a message of work and work and work, our our message isn't really good, is it? Sometimes we can work really hard to not anger God, to not annoy him. Maybe thinking we're not going to draw attention to ourselves as really bad people. We go to church, we wear this, we do that, we speak in a certain way. All trying, motivated to work, to earn, to achieve what can't be earned. Man and flesh says wear and speak and act and do. Man says do. Jesus says done. Man says do. Jesus says done. Do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to have God's favor and restored relationship with him for all eternity? Believe. Believe in Jesus and his finished work for you. That's it. Look to the Son of God who gave his life for you, who did the work for you, the work that you can't do to earn you favor with your heavenly Father forever. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And he wasn't exactly in the best position to start lying or telling half-truths, was he? So don't listen to voices or your own heart that speak lies and tell you otherwise. We will say do, but Jesus says done. You've been saying that Paul's argument is his autobiography. He argues his message by the messenger. And if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we're united to him through faith, we need to know that people won't believe our message if we don't live it. If we talk about a free gospel... People, people won't believe in this free gospel if everything about our lives screams that we're still trying to earn it. People won't believe Jesus is free and freeing if you're enslaved and obsessed with earning. You can't earn this gospel. You can only receive it, believe it, enjoy it, and live it. And that's how we show others it's true. This is, this is true for us all. Gary Miller in his book, Need to Know, says this. There is no such thing as advanced Christianity. It's always about what Jesus has done for us by becoming one of us, dying instead of us, and blasting his way through death for us so that we might live for him. What does this mean for us if we're united to Jesus? I think it means relax. If you believe in Jesus, relax. Rest in Jesus. You don't actually have to work to be able to call him yours. He lived and he died and he rose. He did the work so that you could be, you could be his and he could be yours freely forever. So Relax. Rest in this eternal embrace that he promises, this free gift that you could never earn. It's a good and godly thing to do. Because when you relax into Christ, you will live for him. Not to earn his favor. But you'll live for him because his favor is yours forever and always and nothing can take that away from you. So relax and enjoy him. 
It's okay to relax and enjoy Jesus when we come to church. You know, it's okay to smile when we come to church. It's okay to smile when you leave church as well. It's okay that when we come to church and we relax and rest in Jesus, that we allow our hearts to feel things. That's not sinful. That's the spirit. It's a sign you're alive, and I think that's good. It's okay to have emotions when we sing. This gospel of Jesus is free and freeing. So let that be your motivation. Live in that promise. Make that life of freedom in and enjoyment of Christ to be your argument for this gospel. To show that it is true and show that it works. Revelation, motivation, and transformation. Transformation. I I think it's safe to say that Paul's life changed a bit when he came to know Jesus. Fair? Yeah. I think so. Paul, pre-Jesus, was a terrorist. He's a religious fanatic who was willing, quite happy even, to see Christians put to death. Multiple times he admits to persecuting the church. And we've already thought about how he worked and toiled to keep all the rules to please his traditions of the fathers. But you see in verse 13 he says, he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Acts 9 verse 1 described Paul as once breathing threats and murderer against disciples of the Lord. Paul lived a certain way. He was known, he was famous, well infamous really, for how he lived. He was known for this certain way of life, a life of work, of zeal, and of persecution. This isn't a man who's going to be influenced by other people's opinions, I don't think. And then he encounters Jesus, and he encounters the gospel, a sweet, true, pure message from Jesus about who Jesus is, about what Jesus can do, and about what we don't have to do apart from belief. And Paul was utterly transformed. He was unrecognizable from his former self. In verses 18 to 24, Paul details what happened after his conversion. He says this, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Now listen to this, verses 23 and 24. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul has been completely transformed. From persecutor to persecuted. From sending Christians running and scared and crying out to God in fear. To sending Christians all over the globe to preach God in courage causing other believers to glorify God. And Paul could never have done that by himself. Paul would never have chosen to do that by himself, whether for reputation or for anything else. Look at his life pre-Christ. There's no way he would have given up everything for Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, to live for him. There was no chance, humanly speaking, of this happening. But Paul's point is exactly that. His gospel is no man's gospel. A gospel of man cannot change hearts and lives. A man's gospel doesn't cause you to embrace persecution that you once caused. A man's gospel doesn't cause you to seek out hardship for Jesus Christ, no matter the cost. A man's gospel doesn't bring about transformation like it did in Paul's life. 
And for us, it's the same truth. Transformation and change can't be brought about from our efforts. It can't arise from listening to men. It can only happen because the gospel of Jesus Christ that is freely given to us has taken over our hearts. It has invaded our lives. It has completely altered our priorities, our loves, our affections, our desires. It's a gospel that doesn't demand works, but it's a gospel that works for us. A gospel that doesn't say change, but a gospel that itself changes us. Paul points to the utterly staggering transformation that has taken place in his life to prove his message. Christian, if someone was to look at you as a messenger, would they want your message? Would they believe it? Would they think that it is good and true? Is your life, is your Christianity, is your salvation, is it all about you? Or is it all about Jesus? Are you wrecked from working, enslaved by endeavor? Are you resting in Jesus' finished work? And are you trying to manufacture transformation? Are you allowing Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, to slowly change you from the inside out? Paul says this gospel is true. This gospel works. It is free and it is freeing. So take it. Just take it. And allow it to change you and your witness. Allow it to transform your life and your eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so good and generous and kind that you give us what we could not earn. You pay the cost through your son, Jesus Christ. And you just call us to believe. (coughs) Lord, would we know that if we're believers, that's only because of you. And so would we live for you, not to try and not upset you, but knowing that we can't because we're in Christ. And would you continue to change and mold us to give glory to you in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.